When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, you might remember it was uh, November of last year that uh, WA proudly opened its brand new museum in Northbridge named Bula Badip or Many Stories. If you haven't been there yet, it is an absolutely incredible place and one that we can all as West Australians be proud of. And as the name suggests, it is a place that tells the stories of this state, not just the last couple of hundred years or so, uh, but also the stories of what is the oldest civilization on earth. Uh, and the man who gets the job of deciding which of these stories we tell in our museum, uh, which exhibits end up in these uh, grand buildings, not just the one uh, in Northbridge, but at our state museums right around WA, uh, is our guest on this episode of Inspiring Stories, Alec Coles, OBE, that is, member of the Order of the British Empire, no less. Alec, hello. Hi, Tim. Thanks for that. And I, I must admit, in the UK, they have another uh, another interpretation of that acronym, but it's probably not suitable for the radio. <laughs> My mind's wandering already. <laughs> OBE, though, that's uh, that's quite a title to carry around with you. Of course, we get lots of uh, um, members of the Order of Australia yeah. uh, in on this program, but yeah. uh, we don't get too many OBEs. Oh, well, it, it made my mother very proud. I'm that's sure it saying. did. I'm <laughs> sure right. it did. I'll ask you about uh, that in more detail yeah. uh, a little bit later, perhaps. But let's just Let's talk about uh, this still pretty brand spanking new shiny museum that we have uh, in the city. It's, it's getting close now to its first birthday. Yeah. How have things been going in the first year? Oh, they've been uh, really good. People have responded brilliantly. I mean, obviously, we had to complete it and open it and then run it in a COVID environment. Uh, luckily, thanks to the actions of, of the WA government, you know, we, as we know, we've been able to live pretty normally over here. But you might imagine, as we were uh, as we were completing it, certain things weren't able to come across the borders. Mm. Th- there are still some gaps in the cases where there's material coming from the British Museum in London because couriers couldn't come and, and the like. So that was you know that was challenging. But I mean, it's a tiny amount compared to to what's on display in there. Some like ten thousand items on display in there. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I guess the other thing is. Normally, we would expect something like 40% of our visitation to come from either overseas or interstate. Uh, that mark has been lost to us. But despite that, the people of Western Australia have uh, rallied incredibly. And we've had, I think, something like 550,000 people through mm. the museum now. And, and does that sort of meet expectations, well, taking those international and maybe interstate tourists out of the mix? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, it exceeds it. Yeah. Absolutely exceeds it. And certainly at the end of... Um, 
uh, end of June, we were were ahead of that. So yeah. yeah, no, really, really pleased with it. What does it mean for you when you see you know kids particularly coming in and just seeing that their eyes pop out of their heads? Look, you know, it, it's it's fantastic actually. I mean, as I came here today, I you know I had to pick my way through the, these two big school groups that were in there, and and as you say, the kids are just so excited uh, as they come in. Uh, the building itself, mm. I think, is an exciting building, but once you get inside and you start to explore it and all the big galleries and and uh, uh, it, it, it kind of makes it all worthwhile. I mean, I remember as, as we were developing it, we um, had, um, I always used to say to the project managers, uh, I said, you guys are okay because when we cut the ribbon, you know, if it's on time and on budget, which it was on both, I'm pleased to say, um, kind of your job's done. But mm. there, there is a third parameter. It's actually got to be good and people have got to like it. And thankfully, you know, they've responded brilliantly. Yeah. What are your favourite parts of the oh. museum <laughs> people always ask that and and i i guess they they change every day really uh we've got eight um big permanent galleries there i think because you know i trained as a biologist there's a gallery called wildlife uh which is all about biodiversity which is certainly one of my favorites but the other one uh that really stands out for me is the origins gallery which yeah. i always describe it, it it's everything from the you know the beginning of the universe right up to the present day with the most contemporary science and it's told um you know very bicultural way so um there's an Aboriginal voice throughout and, and a lot of Aboriginal references, which is true for the whole museum. Uh, you know, as you say, build about it, many stories. Well, there's also a principle of, of many voices. And from that point of view, uh, that gallery, more than any, I think, harmonises, if you like, uh, an Aboriginal, uh, Australian Aboriginal view of the world, but also with probably more familiar Western kind of contemporary science views. And and the two, are, 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 you know, they're not mutually exclusive. They fit beautifully mm. together. And then there are, you know, there are viewpoints. There's a way you, you stand outside the Epoch Cafe and look back over the old jail. You can see all, all the heritage buildings right up to the big cantilevered uh, galleries on top. That's a spectacular view. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I have, I, I see new favourite bits every day. Actually. Yeah. I mean, people have been marvelling just at the architecture of the, the building as well. Did you get much of a say in how that was all planned and designed? I, yeah, absolutely. So the uh, process that we went through was what they call managing contractor process. So we went out to market for contractors who then came with architectural teams. But from that, we selected three teams and went through about six months of interactive tendering with them, they all came up with designs. They were all big international names, uh, allied with Australian companies, and um, yeah, the the final design met the brief so perfectly because one of the big things is uh, was to make the space really permeable. I mean, the WA Museum belongs to all Western Australians. Uh, we wanted everybody to feel welcome. We wanted everybody to. You know, almost not make a conscious decision to come in. It's just the kind of place that you mm. you drifted into and wanted to be in, and uh, they achieved that while still creating. You know, what is a signature building? Now, it, you know, I know I've had a few people say, well, the way that big cantilevered gallery or galleries uh, come over the top of the old Hackett Hall. Some people find it a bit confronting, but the vast majority really love the building. I think. 
and I'm biased, obviously. Yeah. I think it's the most significant architectural statement in Perth right at the moment. And well, we, um, we don't have a lot of really bold architecture well, here, do we? So. Well, you know, I, th- I think it's it the, diff- incredible. Uh, look. You know, along with the stadium where, mm. where we're sitting today, I mean, I think they're fantastic buildings. And, and, and what I take... Um, uh, CNN, the global news network, in 2019, they listed it as one of the 10 uh, most anticipated buildings to shape the world in 2020. Is that right? And I, uh, I've been taking that ever since. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that's it's really that's, significant. That's quite an accolade. Yeah. 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 Um, can I ask the stuff that hasn't made it into the, <laughs> the new? <laughs> I've got to ask. Some of my earliest memories going to the 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 previous incarnation of the, yeah. the the state museum as a kid school excursions I, I can just remember being you know the grand old building and seeing the massive yeah. whale skeleton yeah. i know there's probably a lot of stuff that hasn't made it into the new incarnation of the of the museum where does that stuff go so look i, I mean the first thing to point out really is that the museum is multifunctional and yeah. you mentioned we've got many sites so little bardup is just just one of them uh, but we also have a big research function. So a lot of the collections, which are the state collections, are actually used for research. They're not ever used for display purposes. And so we have huge uh, biodiversity collections that have been uh, created through uh, you know, surveys and expeditions, um, both in the sort of terrestrial areas, a lot of stuff from the Pilbara and the Kimberley, for instance, a lot from the southwest, but also from offshore, a lot of marine specimens. And you can imagine some of these things are tiny. So mm. we reckon there's about 8 million items in the museum collection. 8 million? Yeah. But actually what's on display is, is you know, maybe about 10,000. But a lot of those items, you know, would be a you know, little tiny. flea mm. or, or a barnacle or something. They wouldn't ever have been collected for uh, the purpose of display. But you're right. There are there are definitely things. I mean, you mentioned the whale. Mm. We always said that you know there's only one exhibit gets a free pass back into the new museum, and that was the whale. Because yeah. uh, I actually arrived here in 2010, so that was not after, a small item. Either. So, well, that was that was after the whale. You know, the old museum had, had been closed down. The the Francis Street building of the old museum, and so the whale had had, had gone and. Um, Nobody had seen it for, I guess, six years then. And so kind of about 16 years by the time we reopened. And, you know, anybody who grew up in Perth, like yourself, remember remember the the whale. whale. Absolutely. Uh, So the whale definitely had to come back and it looks magnificent. And we'll talk a little bit about the whale story in a minute, if you like. Uh, The bison was another famous one that had to come back. Uh, but what you'll find in the other galleries, we've taken a, a kind of holistic approach. So they've got themes that really, you know, skate along different aspects of life. And and, and it's interesting what you say. Somebody was 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 uh, caught me the other day. Said, "Well, where's the bird gallery?" I said, "Well, there isn't a bird gallery now, but there's a wildlife gallery that's got lots of birds in it. And then there's a changes gallery, which is all about changing the environment. That's got birds in it." Um, and I was kind of to say, "Well, actually, there's, there's you know probably more birds on display now than than before, but they're just not all in the same." place Mm. and uh, so people's expectations change but obviously we've had to develop something that is fit not only for now but for the future Mm. we're not going to build another one of these anytime soon (laughs) Uh, and um, so there's there's a lot of multimedia content in there I mean there's 300 new new multimedia exhibits each of which might have many different elements to it so it's been a huge creation of new content 
as well as ensuring that the actual museum specimens are in there because ultimately that's what the museum's about, is yeah. that real stuff. It's already gone about the whale. Last no, no, question, it's I a promise. great story. Do you know the story of the whale and, and how it got its name? Not not really, no. So we, we, we call it Otto yeah. um, recently and we had a bit of a competition and that was the name that came out um, on top. We did, of course, ban any idea of <laughs> whale, whale, McF- <laughs> whale face. Whale face. Or anything. <laughs> um, but it was, it was named uh, Otto Lipfert was the museum's taxidermist back in the 1890s, which was when the whale was washed up uh, at the mouth of the Vaz estuary yeah. uh, near Busselton. And he spent two years from, I guess, 1897 to 1899 going up and down to Busselton and down to the coast. You know, he staked it out. Mm. He was flensing it, you know, taking the flesh off it, waiting for it to rot down. And he would bring the bones literally bit by bit uh, on a horse and cart back to Bustleton Station. Then right? he'd bring them up to Perth on the train and eventually reassembled the whale. So we reckoned that he should be immortalised. Absolutely. Uh, by, you know, the, the whale being named yeah. after him. Because it it's, it's an adolescent um, male. So yeah. it's, uh, Otto was a pretty good name for it with that's yeah it's a fitting tribute isn't it Mm, i think so and and those bones now i mean how fragile are they given that they're over a century old and you've had to tuck them away bring them back out do you have to really handle those things with care it's a really it's a really good point there was a lot of work had to be done on conserving them and some of them are fragile but you know the biggest problem with marine mammals like that is the bones are full of Oil. I mean, everybody right. knows about yeah, whale oil, and 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 even decades after, you'll still get oil leaching out of those bones. So there, there was probably before they ever worked on suspending it, and it looks spectacular. If people haven't been to see it, please come and see it in the um, in the Stan Perrin uh, WA Treasures Gallery. But um, there was probably about a year's work of just pure conservation on those bones uh, before they could actually be, be put together. Then we went out to um, to tender for companies who could articulate the skeleton you know, in an exciting way so it could actually be suspended because it's never been displayed like that before. Um, and I think so it was, it was funny because um, we had an international tender. We got two companies and they were both from Canada. And uh, so when we selected one, I remember somebody um, on the radio saying, you know, why didn't you get a WA company? I said, well, actually, there aren't any WA companies that do whale articulation, you know. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, it turned out the, the company that got it are the same people who did the um, uh, Hope, the the whale in the Natural History Museum in London that replaced the old uh, the old dinosaur skeleton. And um, so they're a you know, great international reputation. They... Uh, they came over as a husband and wife team. They came over with their kids. They spent six months here, you know, doing all the CAD design for the armature. But the actual armature was built locally, a company called CADS down in Armadale, who do a lot of work for the mining industry. So if you can imagine, all these yeah. whale bones went down to Armadale into a workshop. And when you look at the armature, it's it's incredible. It's it you know it's chased in for each vertebra to just make sure the whole thing is properly supported to address your point of it being fragile, yeah. to make sure it's uh, not Incredible. under stress. Wow. The adventure continues for Otto. It certainly does. Um, Alec, we need to take a break. But after that, uh, more on your story and how you came to be uh, ahead of a museum in the first place. We're going to go right back to your roots uh, in the UK. This is Inspiring Stories. Alec Coles is our special guest. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. 
Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. We are hearing the story of uh, Alec Coles. Uh, I mentioned OBE uh, at the start of the program, but you're also our Arts and Culture West Australian of the Year for 2021 as well, Alec. How does that title sit with you? Oh, I'm hugely uh, proud of that. I'm very grateful to celebrate WA uh, who decided to award it to me. I'm, I'm, I am humbled. I know that sounds a cliche, but if you saw the other people who are in the mix for that, you know, mm. for me to be picked out because, you know, as I say, I'm ultimately I'm a public servant doing my job. I mean, there's some incredibly inspirational people there. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm hugely proud humbled, surprised. Uh, and, and, you know, the awful, awful thing was um, I wasn't actually there to accept it. I, I Long before I knew anybody nominated me for this, I, um, uh, you can imagine developing Burla Bardet, but I sort of stacked up quite a lot of holiday um, <laughs> yeah. to be taken. And, and it's one of the things in, in government, I'm always berating my staff, they've got to take their holiday because otherwise it goes on your, you know, your accounts at the end of the year or it's mm. leave liability. And so for about three years, I'd been the biggest, you know, sort of miscreant in terms of this. So I, um, I'd booked this long holiday, and I basically hired a camper trailer and went up to the um, the Kimberley. And so the night of the awards ceremony, I was camping in a quarry somewhere near Tunnel Creek. Fantastic. No, no signal at all. Yeah. Uh, and it was only lunchtime the next day. It was a Saturday. We were driving through uh, Fitzroy Crossing, and of course I got a signal, and my phone started going off ping yeah. congratulations so look it, 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 it's it's you know it, it's phenomenal but of course with an award like that it may have my name on it but it represents the work of hundreds of people yeah and 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 you know they should all mm. get their, you know take a share in that yeah absolutely mm. well I guess we have to claim you as a West Australian now but uh, others might not seriously you know that was one of the things that actually touched me the most because I I, I mean I am you know, I'm an evangelical West Australian. Yeah. I, I always say I came here from northeast England where you have a bit of a chip on your shoulder about all the investment into London and the southeast. So I, so I was a ready-made West Australian. I just transferred my, you know, my chip to the east coast of Australia. Uh, and I think this is an extraordinary place. And, and as you say, to be kind of accepted as a West Australian that way it means an awful lot to me. Yeah, really. good to hear. Yeah. Uh, um, having said that... Let's acknowledge your uh, roots in <laughs> in England as well, um, and I understand it. You know, it goes way back to a little a little part of of England that is unknown to many, except for some reason. Well, for a reason, uh, a quirky ad that hit our TV screens. Oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I'm guessing. Um, this tiny little place in the UK uh, is now known at least by way of a coffee ad <laughs> to, to people here in Australia. Tell us the story. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I grew up in, in the county of Shropshire, yeah. um, which is just on the English side of the Welsh border. And in fact, my heritage is, is English and Welsh. So, you know, I have to say I still, still follow the Welsh rugby team. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I was not long after I came here, I was at dinner, uh, you know, somebody had invited me around to dinner and there were a few people around the table and they said, so where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from the UK. And they said, yeah, we know that, but where in the UK? 
And I said, oh, you won't have heard of it. It's a place called Shropshire. And everybody just fell about laughing. In, and I had no idea what they were laughing at. But yeah. as you uh, as you rightly say, it is the uh, the infamous uh, coffee ad, which I then had to go and uh, <laughs> had to go and Google to find out what uh, what all uh, the fuss was about. It's funny how places end up on oh, the map, huh? That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not sure that ad would um, get away with I was being on say. the screens anymore, so let's not talk about Pretty that politically incorrect, in too much yeah. detail. Yeah. Um, what about the, the you know the, the love of, of of history and artifacts that tell stories from times gone by? Where did that first start? Do you think? Uh, look, well, the interesting. So, my background is actually in the natural sciences, and so um, uh, uh, yeah, without. You know, being too discursive about it. So my my first um, engagement with the museums was through the natural sciences with natural world because that's what I loved. I mean, my my grandfather was uh, was a great uh, countryman. He had a little um, little small holding, and I remember, you know, when I was very young, we uh, we got to uh, we actually stayed with him. We you know, my mum and dad and, and me went to live with with my grandparents for a while, and so he just instilled this this love of the natural world in me. And I've always loved, and you know, we're, we're better than Western Australia uh, to come for that. So, so that's kind of where I started in museums, and um, that interest, I, I guess, in, in in if you like the the social history, the social sciences, and that came probably later, and that was very much when I was um, in uh, Newcastle upon Tyne, where I, I became the director of Tyne and Weir Archives and Museums. But the thing that I was particularly interested in then was the importance of, you know, balancing what was often a skewed version of history. Um, you know, that old story of, you know, the sort of histories told by the winners and all, and all that mm. kind of thing, by the victorious. And um, so my inspiration in that area was really to try and open it up and let more and more people engage, share their stories, because that way, you know, when you can find yourself in the museum, that's a very very engaging, inspiring thing. The um, uh, And that's something that, that's really inspired me here. I mean, one of the the strange things, and you, you quite, you know, rightly at the beginning acknowledged this extraordinary, you know, is it 60,000, is it 65,000 year um, old culture that we now recognise as the oldest continuous culture on the planet here. And yet when I came here, you know, I'd be doing interviews a bit like this and I couldn't believe the number of times people said to me well it must be really strange for you and I would say why would that be I said well yeah you've come from the UK you've got all that history and we've mm. only got 200 years and I'd say I think there's a few Aboriginal people would have something to say about that and for me it's it's the opportunity to allow uh, you know, people to share those stories. You know, the whole back to Buddha Bharat, many stories. There are many perspectives mm. on history. You know, we're seeing it at the moment, um, you know, with um, uh, all, all the, you know, the the dark emu, the Bruce Pascoe thing, which changed the thinking and now it's under revision and, you know, how much of it is, is true, how much of it isn't. Well, you know, the point is that, yeah, this is this is how we explore history. This is how we explore archaeology. Mm. Uh, there are very few absolutes. There mm. are lots and lots of different views of the yeah. world, and that's what interests me. And and we had a a, a principle, uh, and you will find many different voices and many different perspectives expressed in the museum. And what we said, you know, we 
our principle is that we won't speak for people that can speak for themselves. And um, I think that's one of the things that distinguishes this museum from a lot that have gone before. Yeah. So when you were going through schooling, for instance, mm. or, and then, you know, thinking about university, was it was it ever on your horizon that one day I'd like to be the curator of a, a major museum? Was that was that sort of a life goal for you then? It, it, it kind of came a bit later. So school years, uh, because where I grew up in Shropshire, there, <laughs> there weren't at that time a lot of uh, museums near me. Yeah. There were a few more grown up since then. Uh, I do remember two school trips to London. You yeah. know, we went to the British Museum and the Science Museum and the Natural History Museum. And I, the Natural History Museum was the one that always inspired me. Uh, but um, I was quite interested. I remember going up to Newcastle when I was a, a student. Uh, it had been about 18 or something. And I, I went to a museum, uh, which was called the Hancock Museum, uh, after two famous brothers, uh, which was a nat- very traditional natural history museum. And I, I loved it. And, um, and I remember thinking, you know, what a fantastic place this would be to work. And sure enough, you know, without, without any planning... Uh, but, you know, about 30 years later, uh, 30 years, uh, 20 years later, uh, I ended up, you know, the head of, uh, Tyne and Weir Archives and Museums where we took on the management of that and we uh, created the Great North Museum. So, yeah. uh, it was interesting. Mm. It, it was a realization of a, of a kind of teenage dream. Yeah. Perhaps. That yeah. had just sort of yeah. been bubbling away at times yeah. under the, yeah. under the surface. And just before we go to a break, was there any, um, as a, as a kid, when you were kind of, you know, wide eyed and exploring the world past and present, um, was there a particular period of of history that really captured your imagination, you know, the, the the pyramids of Egypt, for instance. Was there some particular chapter that really made your brain buzz? When, when I was at school, it was it was the Incas, right? That was what really, you know. Unfortunately, we don't don't have a, much yeah. of a collection of that here. <laughs> no. uh, and and I have to say, I, I've I've never been to Peru. It's it's yeah. somewhere I would love to go, uh, and and love to do that trail. But uh, that was something that that really inspired me. The idea of those, you know, almost lost cities and yep. their discovery and and it was just something that really fired my imagination at the time there you go put that at the top of your post-covid bucket list yeah, right. alec um we need to take another break but more of your uh, incredible story right after this this is inspiring stories back with more in a moment you're listening to inspiring stories for bower and o'day don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, our guest in this episode is Alec Coles. Uh, Alec, before we explore the, the part of your life where you you know left the UK to come to Perth, um, you were awarded an OBE. I mean, we have our own sort of ceremonies mm. and Queen's Birthday honours here, but the OBE is a it's a big deal. Yeah, it, it in, was in a big Britain, deal. Isn't it? Yeah, it was a big deal, and, and I, um, again, I'm really proud of that. But I think I mentioned earlier, my yeah, my mother was yeah w- was very proud of it. The happiest person about but, it all. But, but what what was really funny, and because of the work I did in the UK, I had quite a lot of engagement from time to time with the royal family. So I right. met the Queen, and I met, but the OBE was actually presented by Prince Charles. So I probably met half a dozen times yeah. or, or whatever. Uh, 
but the funny thing is, if anybody's been to London, they know the palace. There's a big sort of apron outside where you walk across, and there's the gate, the um, uh, the the fence where people put their noses up against the fence and sort of look into the palace. So I, I was walking out of the palace. Now my mum at that point, and she's still um, still in the UK. She was ninety last month, uh, and um, she uh, she had more than a passing resemblance to the Queen. Your your mum. mum. Yeah. Right. And so we were walking out across the sort of courtyard and all these people started applauding. <laughs> they weren't applauding me, they were applauding my mum because I thought she was the Queen. But anyway. <laughs> so it was a real day out. It was a real then. day out, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, can you tell us any any stories or strong memories of, of meeting the Queen or, or Prince Charles? All I would say is when we opened the Great North Museum yeah. in Newcastle, which was the, the biggest capital project that I did there, we were very and, – and now I think back, um, I think it was a November opening then. must be something about November openings for, for big mm. museums. And um, uh, Her Majesty uh, uh, came along with Prince Philip. So we had both and there was a lunch there that they attended and I had the... I hope the, Prince Philip didn't upset any of the staff there. Well, I, I was <laughs> I was going to say I had the privilege of showing them round yeah. and, uh, you know, you read what you read, you see what you see. They were just such a fantastic couple Yeah. Uh, and they were a very natural couple together and I know that sounds a bit hackneyed and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, not a... You're know, a royalist in, in in that sense at all, but just treating people as you find them, they were they were so gracious, but they were very funny with each other. Mm. Like they were clearly, you know, after after all those years, they were so comfortable together, and they were You'd joking hope so, with each after other. That long, yeah, but you? but no, it was it was really quite heartwarming actually, yeah. and and I think it's important that that people understand that because you you hear so many yeah. rumours and, and and all of that, but. I, I found them uh, absolutely charming. Yeah. It, was a, it was a privilege to show them around. Yeah, very good. How did the opportunity come about for you to up sticks from northern England and, and move to one of the most isolated places on the planet? Uh, well, I, I, I really uh, reject that isolated thing. I mean, mind you, it's a bit of a... Geographically bit of speaking, It's anyway. a, bit, a bit of cachet right at the moment with COVID. Oh, yeah, of course. absolutely. We, we, we're yeah. probably quite pleased we're isolated. But, yeah, I... I, I I don't hold with that because we have this incredible relationship with Southeast Asia and the Indian Ocean. But to answer your question, obviously I was approached. There was uh, potential of uh, the direct, well, the uh, CEO's job here at the, the WA Museum. There was a kind of uh, suggestion that there was there would be a new museum project. And it was just at the time of the transition from the Carpenter government to the Barnett government. And so the Carpenter government were looking at the East Perth power station mm -hmm. as the museum site. And then when the Barnett government came in, uh, they focused on the city centre, the Perth Cultural Centre. And so that was all going on whilst I was in the mix. Yeah. And, um, and just on that, right move, you reckon? Look, different people have different views. I, I think I think the location now is the right location, and I'll tell you for why. Yeah, the East Perth Power Station is a really interesting site. Uh, there are a huge number of issues in terms of developing it. But for me, I think I've, I've said it, the, the, 
the museum belongs to all West Australians. Uh, and the way that you can make it available to the greatest number of people is to put it in the most accessible place. It's sitting right in the city centre. It's right by the railway station. It's right by the bus station. Lots of car parking there as well. It's the kind of place where people can drop in. If mm. it had gone to East Perth, it wouldn't have been that kind of place. It would have been a, a, a destination. destination. Yep. So for me, I think I think this is the right decision. But it, it depends what kind of thing you mm. want to create. I, I still think that, uh, and you hear from time to time, different ideas about how the, the power station may be used. And, and it's hugely exciting. I mean, you look at something like um, uh, Mona in uh, in Hobart, which is out of town, and the best pla- best way to get to it is on the ferry. People, some of you listeners, I'm sure, have been there, uh, and that it, that is a destination in its own, and that works in a different way. Mm. But because this is a public museum, it's public collections; it belongs to everybody. I think it needs to be where the most people are, mm. and that still is challenging for anybody who lives out in the regions. And we do have, as you mentioned at the beginning, we have a number of regional sites, but not right across the state. But we do actually work right across the state and we try and do as much outreach activity as we can to make sure everybody Mm. gets a chance. And then, of course, there's all the digital content Mm. as well. Yeah. So when it came to making that call about leaving the UK and, and, and coming here, was it an easy one in the end? Or, you know, was it the sense of adventure that, that got the decision over the line? What was it? Yeah, it was definitely the sense of adventure. I mean, I was in a a very senior position in UK museums and culture uh, and working in the public service. Mm. Yeah, got my final salary pension all sorted <laughs> out. Um, gave all that up to come here because it was just, it just seemed at that time an amazing opportunity and there was enough encouragement given that there would be investment in the new museum. Of course, when I got here, <laughs> had quite a different story. <laughs> uh, the number of people Things told, don't told me that, yeah. well, it was partly the time, but it was more the, the number of people and of course the... The economy was starting to drift. Uh, and if you look at what's happening now with iron ore prices through the... I mean, at that time, I mean, I remember iron ore prices going to $40 a ton mm. or something. Mm. And you know, state debt was climbing. And the number of people who said to me, you know, the government will never fund a new museum. No, it would have been considered uh, a luxury item then, wouldn't it? And I, uh, yeah, I always believed they would. Uh, I believe it's a good investment because I think quite apart from, you know, the role it, it, it plays in terms of, if you like, the, the, the civil and social life of the, the, of the, of the state, it will, when we are, we're able to open up the borders, it'll become a major tourist attraction. So I think it's a, I think yeah. it's a good investment. I would say that, wouldn't I? Yeah. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but I would say, you know, if I had a dollar for everybody who said it'll never happen, we could have built it about three times over. <laughs> yeah. and so I've got a lot of that when I came yeah. here. Um, but I always, always believed, and it was interesting. I was, I was at a breakfast this morning where Nicola Forrest was speaking, you know, incredibly inspirational uh, person and everything they've, they've done through Mindaroo. But, but she was talking, um, uh, about the qualities, uh, of, of people that, that she admired. And I was thinking, well, well, this is, this is what I admire. And this is what I aspire to is, you know, you, you kind of don't take no for an answer. And if you, if you believe believe in something you actually you sort of mm. go for it yeah. and you'll take 
a risk or two to get there. And um, we did, and we did get there. And uh, I'm just grateful to successive governments because when the McGowan government came in, I mean, they embraced it totally. Um, I mean, our current minister, uh, David Templeman, has been hugely supportive of it as was his predecessor in the Barnett government, John Day. Um, it, it, it should be bipartisan mm. because it belongs to all of us. And, yep. and, and I've received, and the museum has received fantastic support, as I say, yep. from two governments. And, and just before we go to another break, Alec, um, when you're thinking of, of this potential adventure to the other side of the planet, um, not just being custodian of perhaps of a brand new museum, but was there a particular part of Western Australia's history? Uh, that you were quite aware of and, and quite excited to to go and explore. Well, you know, again, it was less the history; it was more the, I suppose, the natural sciences. Mm. Uh, because, and I just said, you know, I've been to the Kimberley quite sure. recently. I mean, I've been several times, but the trip I took recently was was the the greatest immersion I've had up there. And I remember watching a. a program about the Kimberley many, many years ago, uh, and it just inspired me. I mean, what an extraordinary place. It's a, a, a challenging place. Uh, I, I still say the, the uh, you know, such a, an enormous area of great beauty and history, but with all the challenges that face Aboriginal communities up there at the moment, uh, it, it's uh, it, it's a place that I think, you know, needs... Mm. Uh, a lot of attention and investment, mm. but it was places like that. The, the idea, and I know uh, there's uh, Vicky Laurie wrote a book, uh, Kimberley, you know, the last great wilderness, and and that's kind of how it feels when you get up there, um, just travelling between mm. those places. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just to- a totally lot more to explore up there. That's totally for sure. Inspiring. Absolutely. Uh, let's take a break. Alec Coles is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more very soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Alec Coles. Uh, Alec, Oh, there's so much to, to, to get through. We could talk a, for a whole hour just about, um, you know, all the extraordinary stories just in Western Australia um, that we could possibly tell, whether through your museum or, or otherwise. Um, is there any particular part of, of the WA story that you think we haven't really fully told yet, you know, we, we, that is kind of untouched that we haven't explored properly at all? Oh, look, for, from the museum's point of view, we are adding content all the time. Mm particularly the Bulabadi, I, I think there are further aspects of the colonial history we need to tell uh, and, and the resources industry. So these are all things that are featured but probably need more prominence in there. Mm. So uh, there will be that. But look, the um, I, I think one of the things that we do tell, which has probably been neglected in the past, is that relationship with the Indian Ocean and um, and, and Southeast Asia, because it's so important to us. And uh, as I said before, I'm, I'm an evangelical West Australian, and I think we, you know, we need to stop looking uh, looking to the east coast of Australia. Our future, once yeah, and the borders will open. Uh, our future lies. 
hard working to the east mm. and the north. That's where we'll be doing our business and, yeah. and our trade. And so those are the really important stories to uh, to tell. I think uh, it it it's uh, and in terms of you know how we reflect the present. Yeah. So if you think what's in the museum now that wouldn't have been in before, there's a lot more consideration, certainly of different cultures, made an absolute priority to make sure that uh, Aboriginal voices are represented throughout the whole of the museum. And that's partly because they've not had a an appropriately strong voice in the mm. past, not been given that opportunity in the past. So that's important. You'll find a lot more about uh, LGBTQI plus communities in the museum at the moment, things that probably in the past dare not speak their name, although the museum does have, have quite a good record of, of, of working with that community. And I suppose for me it's it's really interesting if we look at what's some day. So COVID... Obviously, yeah. we've been collecting material to reflect this. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So what, what do you collect? So I suppose you're looking ahead to the future in 50 years, 100 yeah. years and beyond. You want to tell the story of 2020, 21? That's right. COVID so, obviously is the dominant story, isn't it? But yeah, how, do you, how do you capture that through well, the artifacts you know, it, it, of the time? It, 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 it's everything from the, the kind of obvious stuff like masks yeah. and you know, vials of vaccine and things like that to... People's memories, people's yeah. experiences of, of how it was, photographs mm. um, and the like. So we've been doing quite a lot of collecting in that area. Uh, Aboriginal communities who've been literally been locked down and isolated, some of them still are uh, because of the, the danger to those communities. So the artworks that they've been creating to, to reflect that. I think in a way COVID is the big existential crisis facing us now, but it's probably not the biggest. I think global warming is. Mm -hmm. And so these are the things that we need to address. We do address in the museum, but when you talk about um, what will we collect, mm. we'll be collecting petrol and diesel cars because they won't be around for much longer. Mm. Uh, we'll be uh, collecting the accoutrements of, the, of the, the coal and gas industry because they won't be around uh, for, for much longer. And... It's interesting when you do because you're right. How do you how do you decide what's going to be important in the future? And I always say that traditionally museums have tended to be dispro disproportionately uh, representative of two kinds of object. One is the rare and the valuable, and that's for obvious reasons mm. because we like to go and ogle at things like that. The other is things people threw away didn't want them given the museum or, or or maybe they're archaeological materials that have been been disposed of and we need to be strategic about what we collect now and try and second guess what is going to be important in the future so fashion mm. we've been collecting yep. um, you know recent fashion designers and things here in in, in perth uh music i mean I'm, I'm i'm a bit of a nut about contemporary music so yep. trying to work out what are the things that represent and i know you had the the acdc we did uh, exhibit yeah. once upon yeah. a time recently well, recently too yeah yeah. yeah yeah that was really interesting actually we, we uh, that was 
gosh, we're going back 10 years now. That, yeah. That was, but... Um, Recent in, in museum it, terms. It, oh, <laughs> come on now. But the, uh, I remember the opening of that and the people who turned up, and, and there were a lot of people turning up in their, their leather jackets and their ACD, ACDC horns that you wouldn't have expected to turn up like that. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 It was really... But, but that's really important, and, yeah. and it's also about generating new audiences. So, uh, for instance, uh, we've got the Ancient Greeks... Um, exhibition on at the moment uh you know the athletes uh, warriors heroes very appropriate with the olympic games and the paralympics uh, going on that's an incredible exhibition from the british museum but then in the new year we've got an exhibition called virtual realms which is all about digital creations mm. and i think that will Im- Im- uh, inspire a different audience absolutely so yeah, we, and of course, then later on, there'll be some more dinosaurs because everybody loves dinosaurs. I, I, I do remember you know, some time ago, uh, we had a member of staff when we, before we did the um, Dinosaur Discovery Exhibition, which was our most successful exhibition ever. And I remember him saying, oh, we can't do a, you know, can't do another dinosaur exhibition. Uh, people are sick of dinosaurs. And I no said, way. people are never sick of dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, I always always say it didn't, it didn't last much longer. And with people the are still discovering <laughs> new fossils, oh, aren't they? Absolutely, so, yeah. Yeah, there's always more yeah. stuff to show. And who knows, once upon a time, you might even have all these uh, artifacts around a Dockers premiership as well. Alec, well, I know, which would give you great pleasure. I, it would give me great pleasure. <laughs> it, it's probably unlikely, but it should certainly, certainly deserve its place in the museum. I you never know. You never know. Um, Alec, thank you so much for coming in, telling us all about the museum and all about yourself as well we look forward to some uh, future amazing exhibitions at the museum and on a personal note good luck getting to peru thanks to explore much. your uh, interest in the incas as well Indeed. thank you very much thanks for the opportunity thanks it's an absolute pleasure you've been listening to inspiring stories here on 882 6 pr don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything we look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story you're listening to inspiring stories for bower and o'day Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.